Changing Reels, a bi-weekly podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time. Uh, we do so by revisiting overlooked or underappreciated films. My name is Courtney Small. I'm joined today by my co-host, uh, the wonderful film critic Christian Lopez, whose views on films you can find on several podcasts such as Citizen Dame and in numerous publications including The Hollywood Reporter, Roger.com, IGN, Slash Films, just to name a few. She's also the editor-in-chief at CC2K. Christian, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, the last time we officially spoke was just before you had gone to the LA Film Fest and was also celebrating your birthday with some guy named Mickey Mouse, I believe. So <laughs> how was that trip? Um, LA Film Fest was, was good. I only was there a day. I think I cursed it because they're actually closing the festival this year. So I don't know how well that worked out for me. But Disneyland was very, very fun. I actually ended up, I had friends that dropped in throughout the, the week I was there, but I did it alone, which if you've never done Disneyland by yourself, you should try it at least once. It's a very different experience, and I, I really, really enjoyed it. Interesting. I've, I've never done it at all. So. It's it's worth it. It's worth it's worth doing any Disney park, I would say. So so whatever you're closest to alone is worthwhile. Not have to worry about, like, am I going too fast for other people? What do they want to do? When do they want to eat? And you're just like, nope. I'm just going to do this. Everything on your own pace in your own time. That sounds wonderful. Exactly. Yeah. I was able to just like sit and drink my coffee and like take in the ambiance and not worry about other people being like, this is boring. We should move. I'd like to start off each episode by highlighting one short film that you can watch for free online. Our short film today is entitled Closet Space and it's directed by David F. Sandberg, uh, who you might remember from, I guess, popular horror films such as Lights Out. This one is a 2016 short that focuses on a closet in Lada and David's home that seems to be doing strange things. Now, Christian, did you get a chance to watch this short? I did. Do you want to kick us off with your, your thoughts? Sure. So David F. Sandberg, if memory serves, also did Annabelle Creation. That's the one that came out last year, the prequel, correct? I think so. I've only seen, I think, the whatever the first okay. one was. So Annabelle Creation is the one I liked. I like that one. Lights Out is a great example of a short that's really, really interesting, and the movie is terrible. I, at least I thought Lights Out, the movie, was, was bad. And then I haven't seen Shazam, but I, I mean, it doesn't really look like it's my speed. This, though, I thought is another great example of, like, I, I don't want them to do a, a film version of this, because it works just perfectly enough it's only three minutes but i think closet space has a really interesting premise you know is it a ghost is it a parallel universe is it like you have enough questions that make you really interested and then it ends and you don't need to have that stuff explained to you the best horror is stuff that doesn't need an explanation it just creeps you out regardless if anything, I'm more concerned by how happy the girl gets about this closet being able to multiply things. So it starts with hangers, and then she has this creepy-ass doll that she starts putting in there, which looks like the Lights Out monster, if anybody's seen the original short, at least. But I thought, okay, well, maybe the dolls are going to turn sentient or something, and they're going to be evil. But then that doesn't happen. She decides to just shove her boyfriend or friend 
male companion into the clock. And I'm just sitting here thinking, you were a bit too excited by this obviously weird thing. I found it interesting that she decided to shove the her partner. I thought it was her husband, but I wasn't quite sure because I know they're husband and wife in real life. But in this short, you can't really tell. But I found it interesting that she decided to put him in and multiply because I was thinking that's just a world of problems if you have two of him because anything about the relationship and, and his side of the relationship that annoys you is going to be double. But that's just my mind going off on a weird tangent. I quite enjoyed this one as well. And as I said, I haven't seen Lights Out yet, but I I did really like the short, and in picking this one, I actually went through and looked at Mr. Sandberg's other short films, and he has a wonderful knack of condensing horror into just a few minutes. And as you said, you don't need any explanation or any deep dive into how things go on, but he just finds a way to kind of creep you out. And in this case, creep you out, but also make you kind of laugh as well, as you said, because she is super excited. But when she put that doll in and that doll multiplied a couple of times, that really creeped me out because the doll is creepy. And as you said, it is from the, um, the Lights Out short, which was also very eerie. And I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen next. And then it takes a bit of a bit of a sci-fi twist at the end. And how even that plays out, I thought was kind of amusing, but then also eerie when you when you think about it. And it, it really left me thinking about the various possibilities of this world that is essentially a closet. Yeah, I wasn't really sure what to expect when you do find that David has disappeared. And I think what I really like about the way the short ends, because again, it's only three minutes. So as soon as you get your bearings, it's over. But I think I like the concept of that it's possibly some sort of parallel universe. And that's how I took it. Which could be, but then I, I was thinking he disappears, but other things essentially come back. Or at least multiply. Yeah, so I, I'm not understanding why, like, living beings end up disappearing and then popping up somewhere else, but then non-animate objects, inanimate objects, multiply. That's why I can't go on longer than three minutes, because no. when you start thinking about it. No, it definitely can't, but I was thinking that maybe that's just the functionality of it, whereas if it's inanimate, it will multiply, but if you put a living being, it will trigger something that will transport it into a parallel universe. And then I was also thinking about the uh, Lada and David that are in that parallel universe and how creepy that would be. The stuff that happens afterwards once you know they realize things are strange things are happening on their end it's it's a really interesting puzzle that i i like to kind of sit back and try and unlock but not think too hard because as you said if it was a feature i think it would completely ruin the allure and, and mystique of the film yeah i mean when when the, uh, the when the girl comes out of the closet and she sees herself and then she also sees the David is either unconscious or dead. I was starting to think, okay, the other one of her has the same idea I would, which is to be incredibly afraid of this. And then you start to wonder if maybe the multiplying is happening, but these characters are just coming out of the closet and freaking out the people that are living there. I mean, I don't know, but I think it's really inventive that it's not gory. It's not frightening. It's just unexplainable and weird. Yeah, and sometimes we need that. It's yeah. It, it's it's fun to have stuff that you don't quite completely understand, but yet the physics of the world still makes sense in a in a way that you can follow and enjoy. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're going to take a moment to change the reels, and then we will come back with our feature film of the day. <laughs> 
Our main film for today is The First Purge, directed by Jared McMurray, uh, based on the popular series which was created by James DeMonaco. The film explores how America's third political party, the New Founding Fathers of America, came to power and how they decided to conduct an experiment in which all crime is legal for 12 hours on Staten Island. Kirsten, I know we're going to definitely be talking about the contents of this film, but do you want to just give your brief thoughts on the series in general? Like, have, have you watched all the other Purge films, or is this your first time? I, I have seen all of the other ones, and I don't know how that's happened, <laughs> per se. This is a franchise that I feel has gotten better in reverse. That doesn't happen, ever. Usually it's all downhill from, like, the first or second film, and I would say that as these films have gone backward in time and thus are able to comment on what's happening currently, they're becoming better in quality and frighteningly more authentic. The first, the okay, so I have to stipulate this. My mom, when I told her I needed to go rent the first Purge, she was like, it's on Hulu. She meant the first in the series, not the actual one with the title. So I, I'm going to try to differentiate here. So when I saw The Purge in 2013, I hated it. I thought it was racist because it's this wealthy white family being it's a high it's a hostage film you know it's a single location film where at the end of that movie if you haven't seen it there's a benevolent homeless african-american who saves them and i was just like mm, no that franchise is never going to become a thing and then they did this the the second one which was actually really entertaining uh, the purge anarchy with frank grillo which i thought was really good even though it is still a white guy saving a bunch of minority victims, quote unquote, living in this this urban area. And then by the time election year came out, they were just saying, we're just going to start commenting on what's happening because why not? I didn't care for election year because I, I think it hewed a little bit closer to the first film in terms of single location. And then I think this one is just a documentary. <laughs> I hate to say that, but it, it really does feel just like when, when all this happened with the election, we all kind of joked that we were an inch away from having the purge. I'm pretty sure this just lays out how that would happen. So, so this franchise, I feel, is really in in a landscape, a film landscape where we talk a lot in like metaphor and allegory, in a, a television landscape where we don't really want to talk about politics at all. I think the Purge franchise, for better or worse, is one of the only series to pretty much put American government on blast. You know what? I think we are on the same page. It's gotta be. It's got to be different because you live in a completely different country I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you about this series because it's such an american franchise yes it, it is but you'd be surprised how in canada we are starting to see a lot of the thought process that you guys are now experiencing in the states politically and the i would say the far right movement uh, i'm going to separate the difference between conservatives and far rights just for the sake of this discussion which has dominated parts of greece we're seeing it in the UK, we just saw it in Brazil, uh, many would argue is dominating America right now, is creeping into Canadian politics in a in a very large and fast way. It is definitely an American franchise, but I will agree with you that it's, and this is going to be a trigger warning for anyone who's listened to this show, it reminds me a lot of Fast and the Furious. And I'm not going to go on my, uh, my uh, soapbox of why I love that franchise, but in the sense that there's something about this series where... I don't think it's as good as Fast and the Furious in terms of entertainment level. But if they come out with a new film, I will watch it. And I agree with you. It, 
it has gotten better, in my opinion, the more just overtly political it has gotten. And if I had to rank them, I would say that the one that we're going to talk about now is probably my favorite of the series. I, w- I would agree. I would put number two second. Yep. Number one third. And then election year, which has a lot of interesting ideas, last. I'd probably put election year at third just because I really don't like the first one. <laughs> The first one for me starts off really well, and I think my problems with the first one, with all of them actually, and in, including this one, is for me, my favorite type of horror films are the home invasion type movies. Uh, I think partly just because it's the thing that hits closest to home. Like, I, I love Child's Play, you know, um, that's one of my favorite horror films. I love The Shining, but there's certain there's certain distance that I can put between myself and them, whereas the idea of someone just coming in to your home is something that I think we could all worry about. You know, when we leave our house every day, we always think, did we, did we lock the door? Just simple things like that. And I feel like this Soul series is essentially one big home invasion film, but on a, on a grand scale, the point where, like, you know, the home is your country and you can't even be safe in, in your country for, what is it, 12 hours. I think my issue with all these, it starts off really creepy and disturbing, but then by the last act just turns into a straightforward action film. I think what I appreciate about these movies as we've grown out from the first film is I like the world building because this is a movie and, and with a franchise like this, you really have to have a world that you can both flesh out and keep familiar. It's why sci-fi film, I think, live or die on how the world is created. And I think that the world that's created in The Purge is very well done. I do have issues with it that I think the first Purge, this movie that we're talking about today, tries to finally set up. Like, my biggest issue with this franchise as a whole is everybody's mind immediately goes straight to murder. Like, if I was, if if you told me all crime was legal for 12 hours, I'd be going to the Barnes & Noble with a bag. Okay, and I'd be like stealing all sorts of stuff. I'd go to Disneyland. Okay, I'd steal everything. I would be a just unrepentant thief. Um, so, so I always think like, why are we not seeing more like car theft or or you know just just looting in general? Everybody's mind goes straight to violence, and this movie does mitigate that with the whole concept of this being the first year, and you do see somebody trying to break into an ATM. You do see a couple engaging in public sex because that is technically illegal, you know, stuff like that. Like, I I like that because it's finally answering questions that I think up until this movie, like you said, it was pretty much an action movie masquerading as a social satire. I guess the only way I can discuss these films is to both simultaneously jump between the things that I like and the things that I don't like because I feel like they, they're they somewhat connected. This movie is the best because in comparison to all the other movies, it is the tightest story, for starters. It is the best written because it is just so, like, this is a movie I feel was written with anger. The other movies I feel were like written with like, uh, we have a really cool concept. We should really do something with this. And then by the time you get to the first purge, it's just screw it. We're going to go for broke with the politic and pretty much saying this is what's happening. This is what we've created. Deal with it. Yeah. And I, I find it interesting because DeMonaco has written all four of these films. And he directed election year as well. Yes, he did. He did do. I think he did all of them. He directed, he directed all. Yeah, he directed all three of uh, all three of them. So this is the first one he has not directed himself. Might have helped. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I think by McMurray being African-American adds a, a, a certain nuance to, to the anger in this film because this series has always played with stereotypes, which can be good or bad depending on this, the situation in your approach to the film. Whereas I found this one took an interesting approach to the stereotypes and the the fact that they chose Staten Island as the place where they're going to... F- do this first purge as a as a social experiment and you know and you've automatically got the commentary do this to the poor first and see see what happens and then incentivize the poor through through cash we're not just targeting poor too they're targeting poor people of color yes which i think is an important distinction to make yes that is true because as we see through events later on the race plays a huge part and i think outside of the first one race is is slowly built throughout this series i was gonna say if you started with the first film and you watched all of them this is a great example of showing how people actors of color have slowly permeated this franchise to the point where we started with one in the first film and now you have this movie where practically every person in the frame is a person of color with the exception of the villains who were white. Yes, the villain is part of my angst with this series. And in the sense that when you have the the villains being the politicians and the, I guess, the, to, to use a lack of a better term, the, the elite, the, the 1%, it is tough to make them viable for action purposes especially because as we said the ending of these films always turns into like a a crazy shootout so the villain in this one is the politicians uh you know you have marissa tomei playing dr updale who's the the architect the the woman who originally came up with this idea for the purge and then thinks it's a great idea until she starts to realize that the powers that be above her have have used it as an ethnic cleansing of sorts so that they can line them their pockets with even more money but when it comes to our hero dimitri at the end trying to save people he's basically fighting a group of army individuals whereas i think it would have been really cool if skeletor was the central villain uh, a guy that is already off kilter and then they create this experiment and set someone like him running loose and it would have been really interesting if even he was starting to mess up the the government's plans just because you know the cleansing they're trying to do completely is thrown off because you have this wild loose cannon who's also just kind of creepy in the sense that he loves destruction and chaos but for a lot of the second half of the film Skeletor kind of just disappears and and that was one of the things I didn't quite enjoy about this film see I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree I think I maybe because I live in America and I've seen I'm seeing firsthand kind of what is happening politically I I like I mean it's a faceless horde of mercenaries that they end up sending out into Staten Island because people are not purging like they thought because people are inherently nonviolent. They don't want to create chaos. And because that is not beneficial from a money standpoint, they the new founding fathers send out a group of mercenaries. And you do get them as symbols. I mean, this is where I think the movie really becomes this very heavy satire, because all of the mercenaries are symbols for the things that have created this racial disparity in America. So you have people dressed up like the KKK, you have people dressed up like police officers. I mean, it's not subtle. Yeah, uh, the Nazis. You have Nazis. 
you have a guy that looks like Reagan uh, slash I, I, I've heard somebody say he looks like Bush. I say he looks like Reagan, which would make more sense. And and for me, as somebody who, if anybody's seen um, the 1995 horror film Tales from the Hood, which is also a very bleak look at race and the creation of this like poverty state, it's very similar. So I do like that angle. And then having having essentially the guy who looks like Sean Spicer, who is the like talk piece for the president, and Marissa Tomei, as much I, re- I love Marissa Tomei. I love her coat that she wears in this movie. But I, I noticed this time around, and mind you, this movie only came out in, what was it, February, March? Jul- oh, it came out in July. Okay, so I'm revisiting it with just a couple months between. I really realized that her character, and I say this as a, as a white woman, her character is essentially the buyer's remorse white woman. The 50% yes. voted for Trump that is like, I made a mistake. So watching her at the end being like, I was wrong, I was wrong. I was just sitting there thinking, no, you are a villain because you didn't care until you realized that it was going to benefit somebody else and not you. So, I mean, I, I like what the movie does with making this a film where they're, the villains are far more complex than just being good or evil because they all have these very deep-seated flaws. They come from these subconscious beliefs. You know, I'm sure that the Dr. Updale character would say she's not racist, but really she is because everything that the Purge is created to do, from where it starts to to the, the that giving of money to stay and participate, is coming from a racist place, this place of white privilege. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That was one of the things that caught my eye, and, and I saw this one before I saw Election Year. So I went back and okay. rewatched Election Year afterwards, because somehow I missed Election Year. And it was interesting, because in Election Year, you have a white female who is you know, running to overthrow the government and try and put things back in order. And of course, she is you know, the target of several assassination attempts in that film and you have a lot of individuals you got Frank Gallo and also a lot of black individuals risking their lives well, sorry black and Hispanic yeah I was gonna say Latino in there risking their lives to to protect her and in this one as you said you see the buyer's remorse where she thought this was a Tomei's character thought this was a wonderful idea until it didn't quite go her way and she started to realize oh wait a minute this is not what I thought it was going to be and right. by the time she wises up to that, it's too late. She can no longer do anything because the power is literally taken out of out of her hands. Well, it goes, it goes back to this white privilege mentality, especially that, that white women have, which is that the benefits will eventually trickle down. When the men have control, you know, it goes all the way back to like Southern Bells back during slavery times. You know, the concept that the when the men are in power, the white men, that it's going to benefit the white women. And what happens to Dr. Updale? She gets her head blown off because it doesn't like that trickle down never happens despite how many people think that it will you brought up you brought up a good point that in election year it was the minorities trying to to band together to save a white person and i think what i like about this movie is that that's all gone that's done it's all about this community this urban community that everybody has written off as this cesspool banding together to protect their own because like at this point that's where we all are now you know there is no protecting a dominant party the parties have failed and now it's just about protecting what we can which is like our house our families our communities so i i like that there's not a a, a white savior at the end of this 
Yes, and I, I've read several reviews that, that panned the film and that have, you know, said that the the stereotypes in this film are, are very racist because, you know, you've got a poor community, you've got the hero is a, essentially a drug dealer, which I'm going to get into in a, in a minute, but I find that it's these stereotypes are effective in this particular film because that is often how the government, or at least in this world, the, the government views minorities as. Right, and it, and, you know, they pick the the minorities as the first people to purge. So when the purge starts, there are several hours that go by, and outside of Skeletor, nothing has happened. Because what does that community do? The community is not inherently violent, as as they assume. They're not inherently lawless. Again, like they they assume that minorities would be. They were like, well, that seems a little strange. You know what? We're just gonna have a party. You know, we're not gonna do anything. And it's only when you you throw Skeletor in that some purging starts to happen. You do have the the crazy individuals that seem to have ridiculously elaborate death type devices like i'm thinking of the um the women the with the women. Yeah. the dolls and it's like there's no way they would come up with such an elaborate thing that ultimately does not work effectively anyway but i mean that's part of this this franchise but for the most part the majority of the people are good it's the chaos really starts when you start throwing in the ku klux klan the the mercenaries all hell breaks loose. and the idea of having a drug dealer be the hero i find really fascinating and i know it it annoys a lot of people and i find when it comes to cinema we have a weird i'll say a weird connection to who is allowed to be redeemed and who isn't so when it comes to cops, and especially cops like the Bad Lieutenants, LT, I'm thinking Harvey Keitel, Three Billboards, Dixon, people are fine with that type of, they're really bad, but they do something good to show that they can be redeemed. But when you have a drug dealer like in this film, or drug dealer in Moonlight, who are complex and interesting characters, any act of kindness is met with skepticism because first and foremost they're a drug dealer they can't be anything else than that and i find it really fascinating that you have dimitri who is a drug dealer all he really cares about at the beginning is his business but yet he's still very mindful of naya who's former love who's now an activist and her her brother isaiah in terms of like keeping the people that he's close to okay even like the elder guys in the community he still treats with a certain level of respect and when he starts to realize that things are going really bad and that you now got military militia coming he's like no no this is my community i've got to step up because i can't just sit by now and let this happen so his redemption i found was quite interesting but i know a lot of people can't see past the fact that he is a drug dealer yeah and i I get that criticism because it seems to be and and you see this a lot with black and latino actors you know they'll they'll they have their horror stories about how the roles they audition for are either drug dealer or gangster and i think what this movie does really skillfully is look at and and i'm going to compare it to another movie that's out that you would think would not have any similarities to this movie but the hate you give interesting okay yeah, and the concept in that movie of Thug Life, the the Tupac Shakur reference, which is the hate you give right, you, yes, you yeah. up everything, and this concept that we there is so much history that has gone into the creation of quote unquote the ghetto in in America at least, and that we set up the the dominant white hegemony sets up this this place where the only way you can make money is to be a criminal. That's it. There are no opportunities. There are no ways 
to better yourself unless you're going to do something that is illegal. And that's essentially what this movie is doing. Like how, you know, Naya explains to Dimitri that her brother is sick of struggling. He's sick of watching her struggle. But there are no opportunities where they live for self-betterment. You know, what is the best way to make quick cash? And so I think it really looks at the the society that has created this. We don't want to fix the problem. You know, as the, the chief of staff says, you know, there's no easy solution, but there are solutions that we don't want to focus on. We want to just play the blame game, which is blame it on violent black guys, blame it on drugs, blame it on. And then I think that the characters like Skeletor and the, the women who are just presented as crazy or angry from the jump. It's interesting that I watched this in a week where we had two mass shootings in public places here in America. And both of those events involved rogue white guys who hated women and hated minorities and obviously got validation from our government for their thought. And you can disagree with that or, or not, but, but watching their, their characters, that's what they are. They are the mentally ill or the angry people that are getting validation. Here's $5,000, go out and kill somebody, prove our point that people here in this neighborhood are violent. And it's just giving them validation. Why I think the movie is, even though it's presenting things in a very stereotypical light, is actually making comments on why these things are the way they are. They, you know, Dimitri needs to be a drug dealer to prove the new founding father's point that this, this location is the perfect place for the purge. And I think it's great when they actually, at the end, the, the drug dealing community um, arms themselves because remember the government has put out an influx of guns and weapons for, for this very purpose and they go out, you know, fully armed. And it just made me think of if anybody's studied the history of the Black Panthers, you know, the reason people got crazy over the Black Panthers, white people especially, was because there is nothing scarier to white people than a black man with a gun. And when they were open carrying through the streets, that's when we needed to do something about it. And so I feel like it was almost kind of like a reclaiming of that. Like, this is what you wanted, but you don't want the, the minorities to fight back against you when it all goes wrong. As you referenced the the recent shootings and, and bomb threats they had in the States, when I was watching the film, there you know there is a, a, ch a scene where individuals in a church get yeah. massacred. We I think that happened like three or four months. It was it was very quickly after after that event. Yes, and I and it's funny because my brain originally went to um, the I think it was the Dylan Roof shootings, mm -hmm. maybe about four or five years ago. Yeah, and that was where my mind initially went was watching it, and then we've had so many incidents now involving churches or attempted incidents where you're like this film isn't really that far off and i also found it interesting where i think it was isaiah when he first gets his high-tech contact so that the government can monitor individuals as they're out purging his is our blue eyes and then you get a couple of different ones but just the the notion of the blue eye killer you know yeah. being the the most terrifying thing out there was you know there's a lot of subtle imagery and of course you know in a film that lacks subtlety i thought that moments like that were were great i mean not everything not everything works there is a line that's obviously about donald trump grabbing women yes yeah I mean, that's an obvious dig. I, I did like that they threw it out there, but I was like, it's a little obvious. But I, I remember going to see this in a the theater 
and the audience around me, which was oddly enough, predominantly white. I live in the suburbs, so we do, we, we have a predominantly white neighborhood makeup. Much like The Hate You Give, too, they did not like this because they felt that it was attacking and, and like trying to stoke the, the flames of like racial violence. And I was like, if that's how you're watching this movie, and, and even The Hate You Give, too, I'm like, that's saying more about you than it is about the movie. Because I don't, I don't feel stuff like The First Purge is saying, you know, people of color, arm yourselves and go out and and kill kill whitey like that's not what this is saying i don't think that's what this franchise is saying it's saying that we're on the cusp of something like this if we i mean what what is it the louisa the uh, latino woman that they save and bring back to the house you know where she says i'm worried about my country and how my daughter is going to grow up like that's what these movies i think are saying you know, like, it's why I feel like this is almost a documentary, because it's it's got that warning note of, if we don't do something about this now, then this is what we get to inherit. Maybe not something like The Purge, but something where the life and death of people who aren't white is just considered, you know, a commodity. Like, that's how we make money. And that's, I mean, I, I'm sure there are many people that would say that's how it is now. But I, I think that that's what these movies are, are trying to do. And it's interesting that you said that when you saw They Hate You Give that, a lot of your audience members seemed to reject it. Because when I saw it at yeah. TIFF, the screening that I went to, I would say was was fairly mixed, but still leaning more on the scale of, of white. And I found that what audiences were reacting to and um like especially what people were gasping at and crying at was the stuff that i just went but this is every day you know like this and i understand hate you give is a a good film and i think it's effective there are there's a few scenes in it that i think are a little too much there's a whole subplot in the hate you give that i don't care for maybe we'll talk about that on on the show at a at another point when when more people get to see it but the idea of them in your screening thinking that all this is just inciting hatred and it's like well well, that's funny because that was the same thing a lot of critics said about do the right thing, you know, back yeah. in what was the the 80s when that came out. And I think 89. Yeah. And it's a weird thing because I, I don't think we we don't have we're not having honest conversations. And no. I always tell my wife when we're discussing issues going on in America and the world that we are only 50 years removed from civil rights movement, which isn't really that long of a time. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we just now assume is kind of swept under the rug and dealt with that still hasn't been dealt with. And I find anytime you bring up really conversations about race and issues and and films like this that, while not always effective, try to at least add something interesting to the conversation, people are just quickly to dismiss and say, oh, you're just trying to stoke the fire and you're not thinking of the good things. I think it's why a movie like this and really the horror genre I again I think this would be a really great double feature with something like Tales from the Hood because horror as we've seen is really effective for promoting allegory for promoting an idea and you go all the way back to something like the Twilight Zone. You know, and that that series was looking at the concept of like nuclear war and and space travel and racism all the way back in the 60s. You know, horror is a way, especially at getting even though this movie is rated R, at getting at the young people, you know, more than anything, at getting at the youth and saying, like, look at this. Do you see anything familiar? You know, and I think that that's what makes horror such an effective medium for delivering a message. And I think why people reject it, especially as the generations get older, is this concept that it's just it's too blunt. It's too in your face. It's it's 
to and that's I mean unfortunately I'm like that's the world we live in if you can't handle that then you can't watch the news because that's what's going on and one thing I I like about this franchise but they never really explore too much is the the use of masks and in this one you have a lot yeah. of political masks there's like a lot of interesting creepy mask and even at like the the block party there's some really cool masks that they never i find as the series goes on they come up with these really cool masks and then just never discuss it never talk about this one a lot of the mask has uh historical symbolism but it's just i know even in the the dvd for the first purse there's a there is a whole feature about mask and when you watch it, it's literally like a blink and you miss it oh we've got a bunch of different cool masks and then that's it it's like what this movie tries to say and it doesn't really explain it is that the people that the mercenaries that are sent in are wearing masks which again makes you think of the kkk and the whole concept of wearing the hoods to cover up their identities but then we see people at the block party wearing masks so i was like is the concept of the mask to hide your identity because of this whole knowingness that you knowingly know you're committing wrong or is it just something cool i'm not really clear i will say too this movie especially because it is so forthright in what it's trying to say i have an issue with the fact that it they did a maze for this at halloween horror nights this year which i went to and i did and it was it was fun there's a really disturbing throat slicing scene where they throw water in your face in the dark and you're like oh god what is happening but at the same time i was thinking i feel this is really in poor taste to make this a halloween horror nights maze because it's so steeped in this concept of like racial division and what's going on in this country i i didn't feel completely comfortable so so you're saying that the the purge franchise has now branched out into capitalist pursuits which essentially objectify everything that the films were saying you can't turn it into a capitalist thing now because it's so obviously against that. but i don't think the corporate suits are seeing it that way no and i know they i know they have a series now on Amazon Prime, which I haven't watched yet, so I'm going to reserve judgment on that. But yeah, when you start branching out into um, theme park attractions, that, oh, that's... I will say, um, Gerard McMurray, he he did his directorial, feature directorial debut last year was a film called Burning Sands about fraternities, which I have not seen. And then he did this, and he's also going to direct an episode of the new Twilight Zone, speaking of, that Jordan Peele is doing. Ooh, interesting. I I must admit, I had Burning Sands in my Netflix queue for a long time, and I I really need to sit down and and watch that, because I have heard good things about that. But I'm very interested to see him tackle Twilight Zone film. And I know he was a producer on Fruitville Station so yeah. he's he's really got his hand in, in the pulse of the current world. You know, and I know we 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 love movies, you know, you and I would not do the job we do if we did not love movies. And I know that there are people who think of movies as an escape. They don't want to re- be reminded of the real world when they watch a film. And I think that something like The First Purge is one of those moments, you know, I was I was telling somebody that, that if anybody were to write a book about the films that came out in 2018, it's going to be really interesting because I think the films that we're seeing this year are directly commenting on, on the election, the post-election and, and how things are changing. And somebody wrote an article, and I don't remember who it was, or I, I'd cite them, but there was an article out about how the purge is going to be taught in film schools one day, especially this last one. And and I, that's what I think we need at this point. Like, we need movies like this that are going to say, you know what, the world is a mess, 
and we're going to show it and we're going to be uncomfortable about it. And if you feel there's a problem with it, then you need to look like inward. Like that's where I'm at now, maybe because this year is just like emotionally destroyed me. And I feel like could do more like I feel the, the first purge and I know somebody's probably going to say Chris and you're insane. I, I would never put it in my like top 10 of the year, but it's a movie that I would definitely recommend people go see because it is the easiest way to look at our world, our country, especially if you're American in a microcosm and be like, what the hell have we wrought? You know, this is us at the moment. Like you talked about the hate you give. I shouldn't have been upset over the hate you give because it happens every day and we see it. And I get mad every time it's something like that happens. So it shouldn't, we shouldn't have to have movies like this that tell us these things. Like that's where I get frustrated. But at the same time, if people aren't going to watch the news and learn about it, then damn it, we need movies like this. I really liked that film. There was, there was some parts I got emotional. My wife was was bawling at a lot of it, similar to what you said, yeah. even though she's seen this countless times. And, you and know. that's what I kept saying. I was like, I'm crying, and I hate that I'm crying because this is something that we see every day, and I hate that we are still trying to debate whether this is something we should care about. I think for all its flaws, The First Purge is the best in the series. I'm going to stand by yep. it. I will I will concur. I know um, there's some people that will dismiss this whole franchise, and I... As I've said, I've, I have problems with it at the very end, every single one of these films, but you come out with another Purge film, I'll probably watch it until we figure out this crazy world that we live in. Kristen, where can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at journeys underscore film, or if you want to hear my thoughts weekly on feminism and film, you can head over to citizendame.com or citizendame.podbean.com or my official website for it, which is citizendamepod.com. It's also available to listen to on Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, any place you get podcasts. Excellent. And uh, you can reach the show at, on Twitter at ChangingReelsAC, or you can reach me personally at SmallMind on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, you can change the conversation on diversity in cinema one reel at a time.